This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The second pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Zach Wilson. Quarterback, BYU. Patrick Mahomes threw zero touchdowns on Sunday. Zach Wilson threw two touchdowns on Sunday. What do you make of that? Draft fans, Jets fans? Yeah, I thought so. Zach Wilson is back. He scored three touchdowns and three straight drives this weekend. Uh, then he didn't score again. He threw a pick. Wasn't great, but it's progress. He had more touchdowns on Sunday than Trevor Lawrence has had since Halloween. So feeling good. Feeling good. Back with my guys. James, I'll go to you. I know you were glad to see Zach Wilson throwing a rock to Elijah Moore. How'd that make you feel? It made me feel kind of disappointed for uh, for choosing a certain Tylen Wallace as wide receiver five over Elijah Moore last draft class. But um, no, I felt good to see it. Yeah, no. I'm, it's, if only you had uh, multiple podcast, uh, you know, teammates who told you that was a dumb take and, you know, tried to save you. But, you know, sometimes you got to let sometimes you got to let them fail. Just ladies and gentlemen, Dylan, how are you? I'm doing good. You know, I'm happy. Zach attack rolled through the Eagles this week, even though we lost. Um yeah, I mean, he looked really good in the first half. In the second half, a little bit more like Zach to form. But, you know, his spray chart, uh, a lot more over the middle of the field this week. And I know that's something that Joe's very concerned about and something that I think a lot of fans have actually gotten more concerned about as the season's progressed. So, you know, I think I'm going to take that as a big step and take the first half. And let's not talk about the second half or the future defensive performance that maybe uh, the players some of us are bringing to the table this week could solve, possibly. I don't know. Joe, I know, I know Zach Wilson's been your compadre since day one. And I know, it, I know it felt good out there watching him throw the rock. So tell me how you're feeling. You know, Meek, something you said in the Slack does resonate. It's just something to build on. So I'm, I'm happy about that. And as far as today, pumped to get into the mailbag and talk some prospects with you guys as always. Yeah, no, we actually uh, get, get to, you know, give back to our listeners and, you know, brought their questions to the table and like our own, uh, James Koontz, they brought the Fuego take, so we're here. We're here to answer. But we're going to bring a couple players to the table to discuss because this Jets team, they've won three games. They're not making the playoffs. It's all about the offseason. It's all about winning another offseason championship with, I think, the Jets. Honestly, like the Patriots of the offseason, I think they've won the offseason title, I want to say, like at least five times this past decade. So let's make it uh, number six. But – uh I was watching the SEC championship game this weekend and I saw this wide receiver from Alabama who just looked faster than anyone on the field. And I know my guy, Joe has been hyping him up, wants to talk about him. So Joe, get on that soapbox for Jameson Williams. Yeah, means I had a lot of fun watching Jameson Williams. He's slowly becoming a lot of people's number one wide receiver in the draft. And for good reason, 
early on, most people thought he was just a burner and he'll probably run in that four, three range. So he's certainly fast, but he's also more than that for a fairly lanky receiver. He's not afraid of contact and has better than expected contact balance. They even use him as a punt gunner. So, you know, he's tough. I was definitely impressed by that. He's also a good route runner. His stop start ability in particular is so ridiculous. You have to be on high alert when he's in his route stem. This dude can make a corner look foolish. You saw it last week versus Georgia where he burned a corner and the safety with a stuttering go for a 55-yard touchdown, playing him in a cover two-man look. It was really a thing of beauty. It was, it was really awesome, to be honest. Now, he's at his best in space or as a vertical threat, but he can attack a defense on all four levels of the field, short, intermediate, deep, and in the backfield as well. He can do a lot of those Elijah Moore-esque things out of the backfield, and he's a legit home run threat every time he touches the ball. He's actually third right now in yards after catch with over 600 yards and averages a whopping 9.9 yards after catch per reception. In other words, this guy is the Freddy Krueger of Yak, a total nightmare for opposing defenses when he gets the ball. And when it comes to the Jets, he's, I think, a really good fit for this offense. He's a true burner, something the team is missing, who can match up with well with Zach's arm strength. I mean, this guy stacks corners more than IHOP does pancakes. It's kind of ridiculous. And Again, he could take any pass in any section of the field and take it to the house. Plus, he has really strong hands, which will help in contested catch situations. Now, I wouldn't say he's exactly a contested catch guy, but he's definitely better in those situations than Elijah Moore, who can certainly stack a corner and go deep, but isn't necessarily the guy you want on 50-50 balls. Williams has the ideal height at six foot, two inches tall for those 50-50 situations. And as I said, really strong hands at the catch point. It's very hard to pop that thing out once he gets his hands on it. Listen, he's a a very good player and his rise is warranted considering how well he's been playing. That said, I think in a trade down scenario with one of the first round picks, I'd be very cool with the Jets selecting Williams. There are a couple of receivers I'd probably take over him, but that's not on slight on Williams at all. He's in my top 32. They're just receivers I have ranked higher than him at this point, namely Garrett Wilson and Drake London, who I know you love Meeks. Still, I feel like Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, who has been a big disappointment, but I don't want to get into that right now, and Jamison Williams complement each other really well. And it's a receiver group that could potentially do a lot of damage together on Sundays, that's for sure. I know that there's another person in here who watched him pretty extensively, so I am curious to hear what Dylan thought about him too. Yeah, Dylan, take it away. Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, I was going through prospects. You know, I'm starting to go in the deeper depths of Dylan's dimes now and kind of rolling out of the top 32 and even starting to roll into the top 50. And there's this guy who I kind of kept avoiding from Alabama because, you know, every year these Bama receivers, they come out, they kick ass, take names, and end up rising up draft boards towards the end of the season. And then it's this Jamison Williams, who I've seen a little bit, seen those flashy plays, seen what he can do on special teams. And then I watched him and came away just stunned. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, Joe's going to make the love, love, love joke. But I sat here for the last hour and kind of compiled some notes after I got out of a board app for Comradio here at Penn State. And I kept trying to compare players and compare who he could be like and, you know, came up with CeeDee Lamb or what Henry Ruggs could have been or Will Fuller. But the guy's just special. I mean, not often do you see a wide receiver who's so open and willing to make tackles, make plays, and play special teams and enjoys it. 
like genuinely enjoys it. Now that's not something he's probably going to be doing at the next level, because let's be real. He's going to be making too much money to have him play in special teams for Brant Boyer. But the fact is the guy is, as you said, Joe, just electric with the ball in his hands. And, you know, we talked a lot about kind of getting more somebody who can do what he can, but also do beyond that. And, kind of play more outside and allow more to kind of play more of the Debo Samuel role and still protect him though and add that versatility. And I think if you look at a guy like Jamison Williams, he fits that mold just about perfectly. And I think this is a guy that I would really like to have on the New York Jets and really came away impressed with. He's not a perfect prospect. He's got room to run and room to grow and be a crisper route runner, but I think he's definitely in my top three wide receivers. Yeah, no, uh, this this Jets team needs more talent at a wide receiver and, but they really need more talent on defense. And that was my assignment this week. Um, I know some, some Jets fights were saying about how Elijah Riley was actually a good safety and could be a long-term piece here. And I think uh, Sunday's game put that to bed real quick, uh, but uh, shout out the troops because uh, he is a, uh, I think he, he went to army, I believe. If I got that correctly, if I went to Navy, I got that wrong. Big game on Saturday. But uh, the safety I got to watch was uh, for the Michigan Wolverines, Daxon Hill. And this Jets defense, for their secondary, it's not as bad as some people like to make it out. They are so bad at making plays on the ball. Like, I think the Jets have one interception this year, and it's from Shaq Lawson, a defensive lineman. And they really just got to start getting some playmakers on this defense. And that is exactly what Hill is. He's a playmaker. That guy is always around the ball. He's got multiple picks this year. He's got over seven pass breakups from a safety position. And he's just a solid, solid player. He's a good athlete, good size at 6'1", 195. There's a, I watched the 40-yard dash video of him and his brother, Justice Hill, running back from the Ravens. And they for for forty yards they go side by side and Justice Hill was a four four zero guy at the combine so you know that Hill is going to be a premium athlete back there no more of that Sheldrick Redwine getting absolutely cooked so Daxon Hill he's okay in the box I think he's more of a coverage safety some of his angles I don't exactly love but he's a willing tackler he's got good size he's a good athlete and I just think I don't think he's going to be ever be a top tier safety but you just want to get some guys who are just average. And I think he's going to be average to good. And we've seen this uh, Jets staff really develop some late round picks. So got to get them even more talent, see what they can do with it. James, I know you watch Hill as well. Do you share the same sentiments I do? Yeah, no, I definitely do. And I think you were pretty much spot on. Um, I don't see him as, you know, a tremendous safety prospect, but, He's pretty serviceable, and I think he can be average in the NFL. And he's also the brother of Justice Hill, um, who's, you know, the Ravens running back. Um, and so I think he's going to have a big opportunity to show out, especially because Michigan's in the playoffs, and they're going to be playing against teams that pretty much every player on that offense is a future NFL you know, prospect or player. So big opportunity for him. Yeah, no, I certainly agree. I think there's a lot of prospects that the Jets are going to be watching in the uh... – playoff and they really got a you know big stage you want to see the guys perform in those big moments dylan we always you know you're our guy at penn state all those nitty lions we always you know we always always messaging you in the slack chat how's this guy looking how's this guy in math class there's a certain linebacker on this defense that you've been talking about you're like can we do him can we do him can we do him so let's hear it 
Well, boots on the ground here. I don't mind being the go-to Penn State guy, but I think I got to close my window before I go through Brandon Smith. Not good, not bad. Just master of none. I think that was kind of like a trait we've used a lot and a label, but I want to talk about Brandon Smith a little more in depth and kind of go through the good and the bad. So I'll start with the bad. Um, he's had late hits. He's been overzealous at points. He is one of the most inconsistent tacklers of the linebackers I've evaluated to this point. When he hits, he hits big. And when he goes for the simple tackles, I think you see a lot of flaws in his technique. I think he's someone who finds a way to be around the ball, but not necessarily make a play with on the ball carrier at a lot of times. But I want to talk about the good because there is a lot to build off of with Brandon Smith. His coverage skills are top tier. I do believe he can be one of the better coverage safety or coverage linebackers in this class. Sorry. And I think comparing someone we talked to last week with Christian Harris, where Christian Harris is a similar athlete. And I think they kind of match up well athleticism wise, but I think this is where you see where, you know, Joe, you kind of hit on last week, that closing ability, the ability to make a play on the ball and legitimately come away with just a disruption. It doesn't necessarily have to be an interception or a deflection, but just disrupt the play and make the receiver in this case, mostly the tight ends and the, running backs and lives a little harder and Brandon Smith does do that I think his aggressiveness as I said can come to bite him sometimes with the late hits and the overzealousness but it also can be an asset I think he's a very hard hitter I think he can kind of read some plays a little bit quicker than some of the other linebackers in this class and that goes to say more about his awareness and his ability to utilize that to close quickly I don't necessarily love his closing ability at points but I think he definitely has a lot of room to grow there because he is such an athlete and I would like to say the biggest thing with him that's really come away with me was his versatility. I think with Micah Parsons being his kind of co-partner in crime the past two seasons, he didn't necessarily, or going back to his sophomore season, and then last year, Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lucetta kind of have been his run partners in crime that have kind of forced him to necessarily move from the Sam, which he played in high school, to more of a Will role where he has excelled. I mean, this is necessarily where I think he would fit best at the next level. And I think that's kind of why he would fit well with the New York Jets. And it's mainly because I think he wouldn't force CJ Mosley out of position and he'd be able to kind of compensate for some of the coverage lapses and time that the safeties have had. And I think necessarily would be a solid pick. He's not somebody that I would go out and feel comfortable going a high second with. And even a late first, I'm definitely not put in conversation. But I think if he's a kind of guy who mid second, late second, hell, if we got him with an early third, I'd be excited static because he's someone who can be molded into a very, very good linebacker at the next level. But right now, I think there's just a lot of technical things and more just overzealousness that can be reined in. But when you kind of take away that, you see a raw prospect with a hell of a lot of athleticism with top tier coverage ability and the mold to be a decent linebacker at the next level, a good starter. Dylan, I watched Smith and to me, he just came across as a simple player. He's a really, he's like, he's that linebacker who wants to be a thumper. He wants to be the hammer and the guy he hits for the nail. He reminded me a lot of Malik Harrison, who came out of Ohio State a couple of years ago, who was a good, solid player. I liked his, I like Smith's instincts are what kind of prevented me from really falling totally and become enthralled with him because there are just some plays where you leave you scratching your head, like, why did you take this angle? Or for an athlete who moves so well, like in sometimes, because when he has his high level coverage plays, are top tier, but there's sometimes he just loses a guy in space and you're like, did, like, did someone just take over his body? So I really just think about uh, what Smith is consistency is my biggest issue. And Robert Sala is a guy who obviously is known. He was a linebacker coach. It was his position that uh, has 
apparently has quite the reputation for handpicking linebackers and developing linebackers and the raw tools that Smith brings to the table, I think would be very intriguing to the Jets. I did love your point about his versatility because I think he's really done much better in the will role that he has in the Sam role, but it's good to have the experience there. And for me, if you can get him in the third round, I think it's worth the gamble because this linebacker room is in dire, dire needs. Uh, James, uh, you watched one member of the Oregon secondary and you loved him so much. You wanted to bring his pal to the table. So what we got here with these ducks, what is it? Yeah. So the player I'm presenting today is Mikhail Wright, who is one of the corners on Oregon. Uh, Mikhail is a third year player. He's 5'11 and 180 pounds. And normally our listeners know that I like to talk about a calling card that the prospect has when I first intro him, but I want to take a different approach and I want to compare Mikhail to a corner from last year's class, which is Eric Stokes. I think Mikhail compares favorably to him in a few regards. I think he's a, a better tackler and a worse cover corner. And I think a crucial similarity between the two is that they both don't like to get their head around to the ball when they're down the field in coverage. I think that's a pretty crucial stylistic similarity. Um, now, I think with Mikhail, um, people who don't like him are going to point to the Ohio State game, which was a relatively rough game where he probably gave up seven, maybe eight catches, a touchdown. But I don't think you can kill him for that for several reasons. Number one, Ohio State has three first-round receivers. Number two, Oregon had problems throughout the entire game communicating in the defensive plays. There were many times throughout the game where the defenders were literally looking at the sideline when the ball was being snapped. And that was the play where he gave up the touchdown. So I don't think you can kill him on that. And I think the third thing is Ohio state for like four years now has been killing teams when they go into trips and they run those free access throws like hitches and speed outs to the single receiver side. And personally, I've been watching Ohio state probably for two years and I haven't really seen a, um, a corner prospect really defend those throws pretty well. And so the fact that McHale was getting picked on, on those types of throws to Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave doesn't concern me that much because if you're playing off, you know, those kind of throws are inevitable. Um, look, I like, Wright. He has special teams ability, pack 12 returner of the year. I think he's a solid prospect, top 50, but not th- top 32. Okay. Joe, Eric Stokes is having a very solid rookie year. I think a lot of Packers fans are really impressed what he's done with Jair Alexander being out. Do you view McKinley in that same light or do you have some reservations? Me and James both loved Eric Stokes last year and we were definitely in agreement with that particular prospect. I did not see Eric Stokes when I watched right. This guy is in love with only playing the hands of the wide receiver. And when it comes to Going to the NFL, he is going to get absolutely abused by wide receivers who are savvy enough to not show you the hands until the very last moment or quarterbacks who will see your back to him and they'll maybe even throw it short, try to get a penalty on you. So I feel like, yeah, he's pretty sticky getting downfield, but he has a really tough time turning around for the ball. And like when I watch stuff like that, it's, it's a really big turnoff for me because there are some things when it comes to corner that are just instinctual. You either have it or you don't have it. And from my perspective, it seems as if Wright just does not have it. Now, I think James giving him a top 50 grade, I mean, I can't say I'm there with him. I'm seeing him as a late third round pick, maybe early fourth round pick. That's where I see Wright. I think with the right coaching, though, he could potentially develop into a solid player because there are some things on film that pop, as James said. But overall, 
I mean, I, I just can't get over that. Me and James have had this conversation so many times about quarterbacks who don't turn around for the ball, who only play the hands. It's one of my pet peeves. If you don't do that, you are really like just on the, on the crap list for me. And as far as like that Ohio State game, he was exposed. I, I'm not going to say, oh, he was playing against Ohio State and these are good players. I'm not going to, you know, kind of criticize him too much for that. I mean, these are the players he's going to be going up against in the NFL. And they really abused him in that game. And when you look at him, he's given up about, I think, like 38 receptions on 61 targets, which is, I think, around 63%, which is on the high end compared to his contemporaries. I think better prospects are all in that, like, 45% range. So I'm glad James saw some good things in, in him. I think there are some good things in him. But for me, I just couldn't, you know, put him in that top 50 range like James did. I have to say, it feels nice to be on the other side of Joe's tongue lashings, and he's not yelling at me. He's yelling at someone else on the podcast. So it makes me feel better that, you know, he decides to pick on someone else today. But we love our listeners. We call, you know, we sent out the bat signal, said for our mailbag, bring in your questions. And did you think we were going to, do you think we were going to, you know, ease into it? No, we're picking the most hot button issue on Jets Twitter at the moment. And shout out our guy, Michael Christopher. For this question, he asked us, how high would you be comfortable taking Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum and what other interior players, especially center and guards, obviously not a lot of Jets fans are fans of Van Rodden and McGovern, represent great value for the Jets in their zone scheme. And, you know, I could start with Joe. I could start with Dylan. But, James, I'm going to start with you. How high do you feel comfortable taking Tyler Linderbaum? Okay, so basically, I went over the last 10 years of centers who've been drafted in the first round. There have been eight of them. Um, I'll just read the names really quickly. Cesar Ruiz, Garrett Bradbury, Frank Ragnow, Billy Price, Ryan Kelly, Cam Irving, Travis Frederick, Mike Pouncey. So I think out of those eight centers, probably one of those has exceeded his draft position, which was Travis Frederick. I think several of them have lived up to their position, and several of them have not lived up to their draft position. I think the biggest thing when you think about how high would you draft a player is what is the opportunity cost? People on Twitter all the time talk about, oh, well, he's a great player. No, that's not the question. The question is how good are they relative to the other players who you could draft and how important is their position relative to your positional need? Right now, the Jets have average to slightly below average center play, in my opinion. Shanahan teams across the NFL have not, for the most part, spent big on centers. You see the 49ers are pretty much trotting out replacement level interior offensive line. Yes, they signed Western Richburg, but how did that work out? Um, I really don't think that the Jets are going to take a center in the top 10, you know, even though Tyler Linderbaum might be a great prospect. So how, how high would I take him? Not top 10, probably between 15 and 20. Okay, Dylan, I'll go to you. Do you Are you in the same range as James or do you like him a little more, a little less? No, I, I'm not. I I know I'm going to be the one banging the drum, and I think I got a partner in crime with me here, but I I don't really care about the positional value of centers. or And this, posi- this position is probably the most undervalued position that I could peg at this point in time. And mainly because I want to say, you know, you rattled off those names, James, and 
I kind of came away with maybe two names that didn't live up to expectations, but even if they were drafted in the first round and drafted as a center, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to go out and be this world beating all pro center. It just means they have to be a first round caliber prospect. And the fact that at times it kind of gets skewed based on where they're selected because they're a center. So Cesar Ruiz is a prime example. Like it doesn't necessarily mean he has to be this all pro, even a pro ball center. It means he needs to be a quality starter for that team, because that's what you'd expect of a quality starter that you draft in the late first round. And I feel like at times it kind of gets skewed. And I think for me, this kind of goes down to a more personal stability level. If you think back to Nick Mangold, he was somebody who was stable. You could rely on him. And then you think to Spencer Long, you think to Wesley Johnson, you think to Sam Darnold running for his life game after game and getting pounded. Why? Why do you want to put another Jets quarterback through that? And I know we went out, we get Makai backed in, but he's been an absolute question mark to this point. Let's call it what it is. And he, he I don't know if that's going to change. AVT has been great. And Connor McGovern actually has taken a step up to this point. However, you get a guy like Tyler Linderbaum, the game changes. And I know, Joe, you kind of are going to elaborate a little more on this, but you take out a defender in the second or in the middle of the field. You consistently can count on a guy who's going to be able to see the defense and do a little bit of what Nick Manuel did and analyze the defense and be eyes on the field for our young quarterback. And I really do believe Tyler Linderbaum is a guy who's going to be able to be an anchor of this offensive line if we got him for the next decade. And I am very confident in Tyler Linderbaum. I've made that very well known. And I would draft him with our first pick. I really would. And that's so that. that's a top 10 pick. I'm a, that's I'm, a top I'm, 10 pick. I would okay. draft Tyler Linderbaum. Okay. Because I don't think the Jets are going on a run. I don't think any of us are. I think yeah. they're probably going to be picking between, anywhere between four and 10. I feel like that's pretty realistic where the Jets are going to pick. So, Joe, I'll go to you. You have not uh, been shy about your opinion about how center is actually the most important uh, piece of an offensive line and how rare elite talent at the position is and why you wanted to pounce on it. So get on your soapbox. Listen, I'd, I'd love to trade down and still have the opportunity to take Linderbaum. And I, I think that's a really realistic option. I actually don't believe he's going to go top 10, believe it or not. But I also wouldn't be opposed to taking him top 10. I think the people out there who think it's egregious to select a center in the top 10 don't really understand the value a center of this caliber. And I want to repeat that a center of this caliber has first to an outside zone scheme. And secondly, to a young quarterback, listen, centers in general have a tremendous amount of responsibility, setting protections, identifying defensive fronts and communicating with the rest of the line and their quarterback. It's a crucial position. And yes, after left tackle, it's probably the most important position on the offensive line. So if you were okay with taking a guard like ABT at 14 or taking Quentin Nelson at six, it makes absolutely no sense to shun any team considering Linderbaum in that range. The only reason it doesn't happen more often has nothing to do with positional value as Dylan touched on and everything to do with a lack of talent at that position coming in from the college ranks. Guys like Linderbaum are a rare breed. Now, He's not a playmaker in the traditional sense. I get that. But he is a playmaker in his own right. By opening up running lanes and giving Zach that extra time to make a throw, he can be a catalyst to better play all around. I think that's a really good way to look at it. He's going to help make everybody around him better. And he's somebody Zach can lean on. In the same way Mark Sanchez leaned on Nick Mangle. And in the same way Chad Pennington leaned on Kevin Mawai. I can't say the same about Connor McGovern. Your center should be the smartest person on your offensive line. 
And one of McGovern's flaws is his mental processing. And that's not what you want for a developing quarterback. Now, yes, I can understand that ideally you'd love to select and develop an interior offensive lineman later in the draft. I, I agree with that. But the Jets don't really have that luxury with the current players in place. I'm not high on McGovern, as I implied. I think his good play has been overblown and he'll be in the final year of his contract next season too. Maybe moving him to right guard for one year would be a good idea, like Connor Rogers suggested. And if you think Dr. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif is a cure for all the woes at right guard, I'm sorry, but I just don't agree with that. It kind of reminds me of when Mike Tannenbaum thought Wayne Hunter was a long-term answer at right tackle. Listen, when it comes down to it, you have to take the current situation into account when making the selection. In a vacuum, sure, draft and develop one later. But with a young quarterback, you better shore up that line, especially at center. I mean, it's really just that plain and simple. Not valuing center got us players like Dylan mentioned, Wesley Johnson, and Spencer Long. And it's the kind of antiquated Mike McCagnan mindset, or maybe in this case, the Mike Megan McCagnan mindset that will have your quarterback on his back and potentially out of the league sooner rather than later. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, Mike. I had to do okay, it. Okay, Joe. That's like, it. Hold that on, hold on. That's that, it. Of all the things you have said to me in the <laughs> year plus we've been doing this podcast, that was hands down the most offensive. Um, Tyler Linderbaum is a wonderful player. I don't have any issues drafting Tyler Linderbaum in the top 20 in a vacuum. I would not take him with a top 20 pick for the Jets because everyone's talking about not valuing center as a positional value. And I'm fine with taking a center that you think is the Quentin Nelson level of centers, the AVT level of center, who you think is that good a prospect. I think James list perfectly illustrates that is that he named eight players for them are, I think good. I think Frank Ragnow is really good. Travis Frederick was elite. Billy price sucked. Cesar Ruiz has gotten benched. Mike Pouncey, he, his thoughts on Aaron Hernandez, I do not stand for, but he was good enough to get the highest center contract in the league. He was a very good player. I think his brother was also a first-round pick. They were both really good players. He was Big Ben's center for a while. So I think that's basically the draft, where half these guys have been good, half these guys have been bad, which is what people say what draft picks are. But you need to look at the rest of this roster. The Jets' D-line, everyone goes on about how talented they are. Oh, Carl Lawson's coming back. That team is so bad at defending the run. They get gashed by everyone. Every time they play a good offensive line, they get bullied. They look like small children. That line is nowhere near set. Watching these Jets linebackers, even C.J. Mosley. C.J. Mosley was disgusting on Sunday. He was so bad. Dallas Goddard toasted him repeatedly. He let up multiple screens. He is not the player he was when he first signed that contract, and he's not someone who's probably going to be on this roster post-2022. And then look at the safeties on this team. They're terrible. Ashton Davis literally might be one of the worst football players I've ever watched. Literally, all that guy knows how to do is tackle a guy 20 yards down the field. That's it. That's literally all he knows how to do. Yeah, he hustles. Yeah, he plays single high on the wrong side of the field. So Tyler Linderbaum's great. In a vacuum, I wish the rest of the Jets roster was good enough so I could take him and him and Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson could be touching his butt for the next 15 years. But we don't have that luxury because as good as I want Zach Wilson to be, I don't want him trying to have to win every game 45-42 because this defense is terrible. Mike, do you like movies? I do like movies, Joe. You like sequels? I do. My favorite movie is actually a sequel. All right, so then I think that's probably why you'd be fine with having Connor McGovern and Zach Wilson as a pair once again, because if we were going to take 
Sam Darnold and Conor McGovern and make a movie out of them. And I don't like to insult people, but this is just a reality of the thing. It would be dumb and dumber, right? These guys can just not see the field. That's the bottom line. Mental processing is not Conor McGovern's strong suit. And if they were gonna make a sequel of that with Zach Wilson and Conor McGovern, it would be dumb and dumber too. Now, I'm not saying Zach Wilson isn't a smart kid. I think he's a very intelligent player. I think he's really good on the chalkboard, but he's not seeing the field the way he should. He needs somebody who's going to come in here and be able to guide him in his process to getting better. And Connor McGovern is not that guy. So yes, I understand the woes on the defense and all the things that are going on on that side of the ball. But the first thing that the Jets need to do is to shore up that center position for Zach Wilson to give him a partner that he could lean on, that he could rely on to be like, yeah, listen, what's going on over here? I don't know if you remember, but this one play we talked about, I think last year, Mike, when the, uh, with the Dolphins game, where they were in the red zone and there was a linebacker and his body language was all about, I'm coming to blitz you. I'm coming to crush you. Did Sam Darnold notice? No, he didn't notice. Did Conor McGovern say, yo, Sam, see that guy over there? He's going to kick your ass on this play. No, he didn't say anything. You know what happened? Huh. No touchdown, three points, typical Jets football, because the recognition skills just aren't there. Tyler Lindebaum is the kind of player you bring in here, and it's a game changer for somebody like Zach Wilson. They can learn together. They can be together for the next decade plus. You won't have to worry about that center position. And that, like I said, will be a catalyst to better play along the entire offensive line. Connor McGovern is not the answer. I know people are like, oh, he's been playing better. Listen, those PFF scores are greatly exaggerated. He's horrible on the second level. As I mentioned, his processing is just not where it should be for a young quarterback developing. If Zach was a veteran and he could be like, yo, don't worry about it, Connor, I got this. All right, fine. I'd be cool with it. Otherwise, they got to move on from that dude for sure. Okay, James, I know, I know you've been dying to get back on the mic, so let me hear what you got. Um, okay, so there's like a lot here, but I guess, I, I guess what I would just say is like, once again, you can't analyze, a, like you can't just say we should pick a player in the top 10 for the first time it's ever been done for a center in the last 10 years and say, oh, well, he's a good player without talking about what the opportunity cost is. The opportunity cost is drafting a player like Derek Stingley or maybe Kayvon Thibodeau or Garrett Wilson or Akem Kwanu or one of those other players who's also good, who plays a position that is vastly more important than the one that Tyler Linderbaum plays, especially in the context of this scheme. All the offensive line rankings that, I mean, our mainstream, you know, have the Jets as like a middle of the pack offensive line. So it's not as if we're in this dire situation where we have a rookie quarterback who's playing behind the 32nd worst or 32nd best offensive line in the NFL. He's playing behind an average offensive line. So, I mean, I watch the games, every snap of them. Is it an inhibiting factor for our offense? Not really. I feel like there are a lot bigger problems for why our offense doesn't look good. So in my opinion, I just think, you have to look at the opportunity cost. The opportunity cost is a much better player at a much better, much bigger position of value. Um, Connor McGovern is fine. Like, I mean, that's my position. I said all pro type centers like Tyler Lindebaum don't grow on trees. Good wide receivers grow on trees. I mean, you can find these other players in other parts of the draft. Guys like this particular player, they don't come around very often. That's why people are talking about him potentially being in the top 10. Opportunity cost is getting your quarterback killed. I mean, like, I don't, I don't really understand how like people aren't really grasping the fact that we're talking about a potential generational player. That's what it is. But listen, I don't think Tyler Lindenbaum is going to be a top 10 pick. I think the Jets can get him after top 10. I think he's probably going to go on that 15, 16 range. So I, listen, I, I understand what you guys are saying. 
when it comes to the outside zone scheme in, in particular, like you need somebody who's going to thwart that initial rush from the defensive line. And somebody like Linderbaum is most certainly going to do that. He grew up in this exact kind of scheme. His coach is a disciple of the Shanahan system. He was tailor-made for the Jets. And listen, the Jets are, are probably not going to draft Tyler Lindebaum. I mean, there's a, a 31 other teams out there who might pick him up. You know, so I get it. And I don't think the Jets are going to be doomed if they don't get him. But I just think it would be a really good idea, again, considering the current state of the team with a young quarterback specifically, 100%. Yeah, my you last point. Some players that you want, you guys want to know of some players later on that I like that are centers that could be potential fits after Linderbaum? No, Joe, tell us. I, I think the players want to know that, that the dreams aren't going to be dashed on draft night if someone else takes Tyler Linderbaum. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, we, I love Tyler Linderbaum. I hope they draft him. Is it going to happen? I think it's probably, chances are it's probably not. I mean, we're competing with a whole bunch of other teams. Everybody's talking about Linderbaum like, oh, like we have to get, like he's the only player that we could target. I understand what you guys are saying, but I still do want him. I think he would be a great benefit to Zach Wilson. But some guys later in the draft around the third round range that I've been watching that I like, Jared Patterson from Notre Dame. I think he's a pretty good player. I like John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota. I've actually, I really like John Michael Schmitz. I think he's a really good fit in this offense, but are these guys plug and play? I, I can't say for sure. There, there is no certainty with these prospects compared to Tyler, who again, is a bona fide day one starter, stud, actually a, a stud muffin, if you will. My last point on Linderbaum is I think I have no questions about his talent. I have no questions that I think he could hit the ground running at an AVT level will be one of the better centers as soon as he steps on the field. I just think asking him to do all the processing and do all the protections as a rookie is a big ask. And I think the jump from that at the college level to the pro level is just as big as it is for quarterbacks. And I thinking that Tyler Linderbaum is going to have that mental aptitude and be that sharp as a top tier center is going to be, you know, I wouldn't bank on that. And that doesn't mean he's a bad player. That doesn't mean he can't grow into that. But like all rookies, you got to give them time. All right. From Upstate Jets, he has a question about how deep this draft class is. He says, how big of a drop-off is there from the top 10 players in this draft on our boards to the players that are rated 11 to 20? Could you see a double trade down situation for Joe Douglas, which he gains more assets for next year, while keeping one pick in the top 10 and moving the other pick to 20 to 32? So, uh, James, you have been pretty adamant. Actually, if you guys want to get a little behind, peek behind the curtain, James constantly says this draft sucks. So I can't imagine he's going to have much of a gap between player one and player 20. Yeah, I mean, I'll, be, I'll just be succinct. Um, there's very little drop off because this top 10 is weak compared to past years. Um, there are no quarterbacks who are going to go top five as of right now. The best edge rusher in college football is in next year's class. So, I mean, that's kind of where I stand. I think it's there's pretty little drop-off. Uh, Dylan, I'll go to you. Do you share the same sentiment? Um, I'm kind of more with James, I think. I think there's going to be some gems you find in every class, but I think especially all four of us know this. We just went through it. Building a top 64 has not really been that difficult, but I definitely know that as I'm personally trying to construct beyond that, it's a bit of a challenge. And I think there's guys that, you know, you like certain little things about them, but I haven't found guys that I've fallen in love with in the later rounds like I have in past drafts. And I think that it's not to say this draft overall is weak, but it's just to say, I think there's quality players, but there's no superstar top 10. And I mean, I know the second part of this is like something about a 
to go double trade or trade down, but I could see Douglas trading down and then continuing to trade down, but not necessarily seeing a just singular or a double trade down and go into the second round and all that. But I see him kind of trading down maybe one of the two first and continuing to trade throughout the draft, because I think he even is going to recognize that there's, there's not a huge gap because there's not a ton of superstars in this year's class. Like there is in past years. Joe, uh, James went after your pride and joy, your little Michigan boy, uh, calling him not the best pass rusher in college football. So how do you feel about the top of this class? Listen, after Aiden Hutchinson and Kayvon Thibodeau, um, listen, I would like to keep one of our top 10 picks if we have two, but I would love for them to trade down with that second one. I think that this team has so many holes. I mean, more picks, the better. I'm so down for making a trade for sure. I feel like after the first 10 picks, the next 10 are, are relatively consistent as far as how I'm going to grade them. So yeah, man, let's do it. You know, I hope JD pulls it off. Of course, it's a lot easier said than done. Yeah. I think the, in regards to a trade down, I think just the lack of quarterback talent is going to make that tough. Like if the jets have, say the jets are picking like fourth and seventh, which would be great. I don't think there's a quarterback that someone's going to come up for to take. And I think if both pass rushers are gone, I don't think there are other blue chip players in this draft that people are going to want to trade up for. I think honestly, the Jets best case scenario might be if you keep one of the top 10 picks and that Seattle picks like around 11 to 15, maybe you get that team from the twenties who wants to make that Mahomes, the Watson like trade up and you get another first next year because they're all in on Matt Corral or they think Kenny Pickett really is, you know, Kenny Heisman. But uh, I, the trade down, I think, is Joe Douglas is going to be really interested in. But I just don't know how many uh, uh, dance partners he's going to have. But, uh, James, uh, it seems like you want to uh, go even more in on this draft class and how bad it is. So let me hear it. Nah, I mean, I, so I agree with Joe. I agree with you, Meigs. I mean, my like, status quo position is that when in doubt, you should always trade down. Um, that's my position because I, Joe's grinning right now. Um, I mean, it's been proven empirically through studies – <laughs> Joe, so Joe's dying right now uh, in our Zoom, but it's actually been proven by the Nobel Prize winning behavioral economist Richard Thaler that NFL draft picks are way overvalued in the first round and that draft outcomes are all the same across the first round statistically, that top 10 picks are pretty much always overvalued. And so that's also not just theory, but like, I mean, go on Wikipedia and look at the top 10 picks from like five years ago. Like half of them are awful. Half of them are like pretty good. So when in doubt, always trade down. Yes, do we. To- uh, if you guys didn't know, Daryl Morey Jr. at Northwestern, literally this is all his philosophy, just about picks don't matter, trade down, and this is what we deal with on a daily basis. But now we move I mean, on to our I final mean, question. With pro- what, Joe? What? I want to touch on that thing with James, man. What do you, you, you think I'm giving him the time of day with all draft picks? Suck? Come on. You know how it is. I want to mention, I, honestly, I can't stand when James brings up that article. I mean, we talk about that damn article incessantly. It's insane. The only reason why some of those later picks work out more than the earlier picks is that teams usually picking later are just better organizations with better scouting departments. That's pretty much it. I mean, honestly, I understand a Nobel Prize winner wrote that, but sometimes it's good to trade down. Sometimes it's not. That's the bottom line. It depends on the player, the draft, and the year, and the front office. Like, are your people competent? Do you have a good scouting department? That all plays a role. It's not nearly as black and white as it's stated in that article. It's missing the human element to the equation. And I just wanted to add that because I've heard about this damn article way too many times. I'm sorry, James. 
Yeah, Joe, Joe has had enough of your computer, folk, James. Um, so now we're going to get on to the last question from our most devoted listener, Joe Horning. So shout out, Joe. He said, with the impact players at receiver like Jamar Chase and CeeDee Lamb have had on the offenses, having two, t- two top two wide receivers, um, I just want to cut this off and say, I don't know why I didn't mention the best wide receiver of the past two years, Justin Jefferson. Him and Adam Thielen are pretty good. He's better than both these players, but Joe, I'll let it slide. Could you see uh, Joe Douglas taking a swing on a top wide receiver like a Garrett Wilson, a Jamison Williams, a Burke, or someone else to pair with Elijah Moore and Corey Davis to aid in Zach Wilson's development? Joe, you are the O-line guy. You said you can find good receivers anywhere. Do you think Joe Douglas shares a similar sentiment? Listen, JD has taken wide receivers in back-to-back years in the second round, so I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he'll take another one, especially since Corey Davis has been a disappointment. And Mims, well, is is he still on the team? I, I I'm not sure. Is he still? Is he still? Okay, he might be. We, he, he's he's approaching Jabari Zuniga status very quickly. Is, yeah. So I could see him doing it again. Why not? I mean, he showed us the last two years that he's willing to do it, and with those two guys not really panning out, I mean, the team does need playmakers, so. Um, I, I, I can see him doing it. If he did, I, I'd be pretty stoked. I, I'd welcome it. Joe, I completely agree with you. Um, Garrett Wilson is, I think, all our top wide receiver, and I'd love him. But even if even if he does, we do with Elijah Moore, we have that early what? You moved off of uh, Chris Olave. Dude, I moved off, like, why is this like – I moved off of him weeks ago. I think I've said this like three times on the show. Wow. Yeah, I know. It was tough. It was like – it was literally like it was literally like giving up on my child. I mean, Chris Olave hype for too long, but I mean, Gary so Wilson's that dude. But uh, even if they don't use a first round pick, I can see them using their early second. And uh, I trailing Burks, Jahan Dotson, right in that area, because I think those are going to be the borderline first round players that fall just like Elijah Moore did last year. And I can see Joe Douglas pouncing on that. Um, Daniel Jeremiah comped trailing Burks to a uh, heavier AJ Brown. And uh, I like that combo with uh, Elijah Moore. Dylan. I know you're going to be banging the table for Jahan Dotson, but uh, what do you think about uh, Joe Douglas going in? I don't know the early wide receiver. I think I'm actually going to pull away from you guys a little bit here. I think that in back-to-back drafts, obviously one of them has been, as you guys said, he's approaching Jabari Zuniga status, and he's been a bit of a whip in Denzel Mims. But I, I kind of have to disagree with it necessarily more because of the fact that this the group we have right now, obviously who's going to return is going to be up in the air. But I think – I think with more, we've talked in depth about kind of pairing him with somebody who's going to be able to take a little bit of load off him, someone more who we've even covered lower guys like Smith from AM and kind of guys like that who could be lesser prospects, but could be doing more of what he does, but also protect him and be the outside threat. And I think you're just, I'm going to go more with the wide receivers kind of come on trees. Every class over the last five years we have heard is, oh, this is the top wide receiver class. This is the top wide receiver class. This is the top wide receiver class. The fact is, I think this draft class is more top heavy at defense. And I'd rather, if we're going to take a swing, take a swing on a future defense that is our offense has gotten better. We have the number 12 pass offense in football right now. I think that's a big step forward than it's been in past years. And I think that with the fact that our defense is now the calling card for the New York Jets right now of being awful, I think we got to change that. And I'd rather us take multiple big swings at defensive players than go out and get one of these top receivers who I like a lot of them. I just think it's more, if we're going to get into positional value, I think here is where I'm going to value receivers less than fixing an awful defense. Yeah, Dylan's, Dylan claims to care about the defense now, but he didn't claim when he was talking about Tyler Linderbaum. But I won't get into that. James, take us home. Yeah, so bottom line is I 
don't think it's super likely he takes a receiver really high, even though I have different opinions personally. I think especially with seeing how well Garrett Wilson has played this season. The one thing I will say that's worth adding is I know JD is best friends with Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network. And as somebody who listens to the Move the Sticks podcast with Daniel Jeremiah, he's a big proponent of the idea of you build a wide receiving court like a basketball team. And so if you think about what the Jets have right now, we have a smaller guy, like a guard, like Elijah Moore. Um, you don't really know what Corey Davis is because, I mean, he's on a pretty short-term deal. So I do think that, if anything, they would take a receiver who fits more of that Traylon Burks mold as opposed to that sort of Jahan Dotson, Garrett Wilson, shorter, you know, Z receiver type. So that's kind of where I stand. Joe, uh, this was not in the mailbag, but you said you have a question for all of us. So take the floor. Seems like we all have Garrett Wilson as our number one receiver. Who do you guys think is the best fit overall? If you had to pick one guy, who's the best fit at wide receiver for the Jets? I really think it's Chris Olave, actually. Do you, Meeks? I really do. I really do. I think he's the best deep threat in the class. And I just think you want to – everyone's talking about how Zach needs to get better in the short and intermediate. But I don't. I want him to sell the guys who can stretch the field, and I think Chris Olave, for his size, is one of the best ball trackers and best contested catch guys in this class. And you're not really losing any speed. Give me two, four, three guys out there running all the fly patterns, all the go balls that we can see, and he can still snap off a route better than anyone in this class. I will go to my grave saying that. But Dylan, who do you think fits it best? I go. Jamison Williams. I'm honestly going to go there rather than kind of go with, I think there's going to be guys that are built like Jamison Williams in the later rounds. That's kind of more my point here, but I do think Jamison Williams is going to be able to kind of complement Elijah Moore better than anybody because he's going to be able to do more on the outside and open up that more deep threats and kind of give Wilson that calling card that was his calling card at BYU, those long balls and not necessarily that middle of the field problems that have been hammered home so much by us. And I think that that would be better for him. And then also you have that added allure with Williams that he could play the slot if he has to, and he could also play in that more Debo role that we've talked about as a gadget guy and all over the field. So I, I would go Williams. James, uh, do you stray from us? Do you have, because I, I already know Joe's answer. So James, tell me what you got. I see Williams. You know, I also see Burks just because I, I don't see him in the, in the exact same way I see uh, AJ Brown, but there are a lot of similarities. I almost see Burks as kind of like Chase Claypool, but maybe a little bit more, a little bit less linear if he's in this type of route tree. Uh, I also really like Wandale Robinson just because I saw the Packers draft Amari Rogers and Wandale Robinson is kind of that same vibe. So I could see that too. Joe. Uh, so go ahead and tell us why it's Drake London. So we said one and you decided to talk about Wandale Robinson. James. <laughs> like, what is going on here? Yeah, I do think it's Drake London. For yeah, no, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I do think it's Drake London for everything we said in the Drake London debate. I think that he is a perfect match for Zach Wilson's strengths. And I think he could be an extension of the run game, just like you said, Meek. So that's the guy I would pick for sure. Okay. Went a little long this week. I'm happy our draft season uh, listeners gave us some questions to answer. I think going forward, we're going to try to get at least one or two questions every episode because as this season is basically over from a competitive standpoint, everyone's going to be wanting to ask about the draft, asking about the offseason, who should be replaced, who should stay. But uh, make sure you're subscribed to the Turn on the Jets pod. This will be dropping on Friday. Make sure you're subscribed to Badlands. 
And make sure you're still watching Turn on the Jets Live with Steven Zance and Steven Russo. And we will see you next week.